Good evening, um, fellow trustees, leaders, staff, and guests. It is Wednesday, July 12th, and this is the Board of Trustees meeting. Um, welcome. Uh, Madam Clerk, would you please take a look? Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Um, Trustee Chapman. She's signing. Here. There she is. I'm actually uh, on. Thank you. Thank Trustee you. Esteem. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Obligacion. Here. Trustee Sign. Here. And Trustee Splendorio is not here yet, but we do have a quorum. Thank you. Do we have any requests for public comment? We do not. Trustee Banerjee, or Chair Banerjee, I'm sorry. Uh, Trustee Chapman is joining under just cause uh, principles. Yes. She can participate, but she wouldn't count towards quorum. One of two. So with just cause, yeah, she's she for protocol she is on. Thank you. For we do well move. Thank you. So let's get on to the ER level two CPA nine. Promising to the ER level two CPA nine. The first item on our agenda is the executive officer's report. And for this one, um, we had two articles to read, but not so much to discuss those articles, but kind of as a framing for what some of our agenda item is. We had the dive, the DEI session with our uh, board on the 30th of June, and one of the things that we did talk about is that let's have a tracker to see like what has been discussed so far at the meetings and what how we can create an arc for the next few months. We usually have um, um, the topics that are especially on the discussion and action items of, of the agenda. And so we, we have a very early tool, a scheduler tracker, if uh, Rana, if you could show that, please. Yep. And Trustee um, Esteen has also um, had a chance to review it. So basically this discussion tracker has two pages uh, in landscape. The first was just kind of to remind us what our strategic framework were, what our values were, what the enablers were, if you can scroll down, and then what our pillars were. So just so that we have that at top of mind. Um, and then this one kind of uh, goes through from January through June all of the different um, items we've had for reading as well as for discussion. Welcome to plan. <coughs> and so wanted to open it. The, the action and follow-up are some of the things, the, the two things that I wanted to share. One is that uh, this is not the totality of the board education that we have. We've been having trainings and other things in between meetings. We have the our groundwater training, REI training, some other meetings that conferences and things that the board members have gone to. These are only our board, monthly board meetings. So there are other opportunities that have been for, uh, you know, related to our strategic plan that the board has engaged in, which are not here. 
and the actions and follow-up are things that we hope we can populate. Some of those are actions that we might have taken, some of those are actions that are coming out of the discussions that um, the ELT or the, uh, you know, have, have, have been taking some are follow-up things that we had said come back to us and speak, uh, you know, follow-up. So uh, we need to populate some of those because um, as we jointly, so there's, a, again, a subgroup that's kind of working, Jen and I, that are working on, on this uh, as we plan look ahead as well. So I'll open that up to um, our trustees to think about, like, as you look through, um, on the follow-up uh, maybe it's included in what you're in that category but just uh, who the responsible individual will be for the follow-up so that person whoever they are will be able to look at this and be reminded that you know that's me that's got to do that absolutely and then the other uh, the date that it will come back to the board if it is coming back to the board to a board committee Excellent point. Similarly, for the action to if there is a board related action or it's a you know management related action or a partner related action, to, um, what and who with the, and, and the follow up date. One of my first impressions was we've been busy. You know, I think this is a comprehensive list of actually. I feel like it's not necessarily extracurricular activities that the board has been engaged in, but these are the, the discussion items that actually give our institution and our board kind of the heart and the, the body that, that builds upon. It's like the, to use the words from our strategic plan, it's, it's the pillars. This is what it is. And from the readings that uh, were shared by Chair Banerjee, um, you know, it's listed here as an enabler that Health, equity, diversity, and inclusion is the enabler for our strategic plan. And the way it was discussed in the reading is that if you imagine a bullseye, equity, diversity, and inclusion, all of those initiatives are the target. It's the bullseye, and it has to be in the crosshairs of everything we do. And I think that's what this chart actually represents, is that the things that are the foundation. I mean, and we're here providing patient care every day. We're talking about quality. We're making sure that uh, staff have the resources they need. And if we do not center equity, will we move the metrics on outcomes? Will we actually change and improve and decrease despair? So, thank you for that. We're trying to get one thing I also wanted to add is a lot of this is informed by Eddie, by some of the conversations, some that come in public comments, but also that we hear from quality and other spaces. So if you can see, there's been a relentless um, focus on patient-centeredness. In every one of them, it's like, where are we getting the patient voice? Code to co-design. So each one of them has been something, whether it's interpretation services, whether it's others has been like, we have put patients in the center, but sometimes we do forget to talk about them. So every month, the discussion item has been from the vantage of the patient. Trustee um, uh, Sine? Well, I think that it's valuable to kind of have a picture. Um, if nothing else, if I'm meeting with Lena Tanners, it was a board up to. <laughs> It's, it's nice to be able to tell the story quickly that we're, we're doing a lot of things and what our focus is. 
Um, the thing that really struck me not so much about this, but about the, the second article was this notion of if we don't focus on the equity inclusion, we'll actually do worse on the other quality measures because you can't do you can't do it that way. You can't like focus on part of the pie and, and, and push that and leave another part behind because everybody's got to win that way. And I thought that that was a nice underline for what we're trying to do. And I like the way that this carries that story through and keeps us focused on that. I think it's an important role that we play to make sure that the whole organization has that focus. Any um, trustee thoughts on the accountability yes to keep that in mind? Trustee Obligasa, anything to add? Um, just looking at this, um, is it possible that we could also um, include like timeline? I mean, it was mentioned about um, cool, right? But then I think it's important to have like what's the timeline and what progress have been made? Yes. So I think those are really important. Yes. I mean, we could identify the person who's going to follow up, but then if there's no timeline, then we don't know how long. Thank you. Timeline and uh, progress. Trustee Booker. No, I, 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 I like the discussion. Um, I just saw your email, so I didn't see this version of the document. So if those could be uploaded to the full board, that would be great. I think, you know, a, a tracking and status, all these ideas are, are really important for what we do. And trustee esteem, we have been busy. We have been busy. So uh, giving a one-stop shop to, to to people what we've done here, I think would be would be really great. And this is one section of our agenda. So if we actually look at all the contracts we do and the budget and the other things, but Trustee Spendorio, anything? Two thumbs up. Trustee Friedman. Nothing to add, thanks. Nothing to add, and to see, not all of them have a follow-up action. I wanted to say, for example, but some have very specific ones. So if you scroll to April, uh, so definitely the uh, the February was where we had uh, introductions and said, like, what do you want to see coming in the year? Um, in April, the Cal AIM update that uh, Ms. Brigham did was, again, that has been populated in different spaces where we have those accountabilities for that. But there was one place where uh, Ms. Sambal Lee presented about the interpreter services. And I know if anybody else is here that that was followed up by, I mean, the HERI committee has done it, but there were either in other spaces that that leadership chat or I don't know, desktop or other spaces where the reiteration was made that we have these services, we need to use them more often. I know that the Bridge Clinic update, um, Dr. Rahman Rusoha had uh, uh, recommendations at the end. James, I wanted to know, like, were there, like, some of those have come with recommendations uh, at the presentation, some have involved, like, follow-up emails to say, like, hey, these are some recommendations. Anything that you have to, you know, share with us, this might be a good time, but uh, if not. Well, I actually, I, I would like to. Um, and I thank you for letting me know yesterday that we were going to talk about this. There, there were a number of actions that were suggested um, as a result of that work that, um, 
that the physician as well as uh, Lorna were involved in um, with their work with the America's Essential Hospitals. So this was their, their culmination project. What I would like to do is to come back with a more formal follow-up, if that's satisfactory to the board, to really talk about how we're trying to operationalize the suggestions that they've made. So I'm not prepared at this moment to right. do that, but would be more than happy to do so at a, you know, a, a soon uh, exactly. opportunity. Yeah, thank you. And that's exactly what we didn't want the answer to it. We wanted to know that, that the ELT is working on it and to uh, make uh, sure that happens. I know that we heard from Damon Francis. And if you scroll down, um, Rana, we have now four months. And so it would be helpful to kind of just get uh, folks input and we could do that via email, Trustee. Uh, esteem to see that in the coming months, what will be some of the urgent things. We know that we have HMG, uh, we've had a healthcare for the homeless in May, and that we should have the HMG board, which is our, our subsidiary board on. We know that we have to do an audit compliance, which is like separate, a compliance plan, which is separate from, um, you know, the, uh, the getting the external audit report. So we might, we'll, we'll have that as well. And then we also have a retreat, which uh, Trustee Apicastia and Trustee Esteem will be uh, co-leading the design of. So, well, thank you for that. We wanted to just shine a light on what's been happening and to also make sure that we get feedback from both our staff as well as our board trustees to say, like, what is it that should be on, our, on the board's radar from a governance, operational, sustainability, compliance point of view? And with that, I'll turn it over to um, Mr. Jackson for the CEO report. Wonderful. I will drive it. Oh, okay. Excellent. Thank you, trustees, for the opportunity to share my CEO report. Great. Okay. Going to start off as we typically do with a recognition um, of staff. This one is a little long, so I beg your indulgence, but I just think it's terribly important. And I'm going to read not the entirety of it, but some high points. This is a letter that we received recently from a, a grateful family. Um, and I will just dive in. We wanted to send a thank you note to recognize and thank all of the healthcare professionals at the Highland Hospital who helped save our son. Our son is a freshman at UC Berkeley and had a cardiac arrest on the evening of Friday, April 7th. It was devastating and scary to get a call that your healthy son was not breathing and unconscious and on the way to the hospital. The doctors, nurses, and staff were all so amazing and caring. The communication and explanation to us of what was happening was incredibly helpful. There were so many people involved in his care and I know that I did not catch everyone's name as we were in the crisis. So while I will call out a few people, I do also want to recognize all of the other people as well. First off, a huge thanks to Dr. Monica Bargaba for all her work overseeing the ICU and ensuring the coordination of care. Also a big thank you to Dr. Syed and Dr. Samantha Ng. It was just so helpful for us that they were able to communicate to us on a level that was constructive and personable while of course attending to his care. The nurses, parentheses, the everyday heroes, were amazing. I do not know all of their names, but they were, there were three that were just so amazing. Kimberly, 
the nurse on Saturday and Sunday, Cassandra, an overnight nurse, and Debbie, the nurse on Sunday, were great, showing him a great deal of attention and care, and were just so wonderful to us as well. I'd like to thank Kimberly in particular for her compassion to me during the time that we waited to see if we, he would be able to mentally wake up. And then the last paragraph I would share, I know that there's an army of people making sure that everything is happening and happening correctly, and that often these people do not get thanked. We are so grateful for the care provided to him. And what seems like a miracle, he is thriving and went back to Berkeley last week to see if he could attend the last week of classes. The professors are letting him take incompletes, but he's going to see if he can finish two of his classes and then finish the other two over the summer. Again, kind of long, but this really, I thought, crystallized the miracles that happen within the system on a regular basis. And I love that they took the time to identify the staff. So um, I shared this during the chat recently, and we've also done some outreach to the individual um, managers and staff just to acknowledge that they um, were recognized in this way, and we'll be doing other things to, to recognize those staff. Thank you, James. It's a mission moment to know yeah. and everyday multiple uh, examples like this happen and uh, just so much gratitude for the staff. Absolutely. Thank you. Moving into our pillars, um, staff and physician experience. And so I wanted to take a moment and to acknowledge some events that have happened recently. Last month was Pride Month, of course, and so we had Pride celebrations across the organization. Um, but specifically, I have some photos from Fairmont and then the recent 4th of July parade in Alameda, um, I wanted to share a little bit on. So um, this is um, Christine, who is the director there at Fairmont, along with Jeanette. Jeanette, that's you. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they were celebrating um, the, the buildup, the big buildup as they were getting ready for this event. Um, and so what Richard said was Christine and Jeanette testing the props um, this morning before our afternoon event. Um, and, uh, and so you can see that they had some wonderful refreshments and plates and our, our residents um, were, you know, they came in, they participated and on the screen there it says, this out and proud day in October was originally celebrated in 1988, commemorating the second national march on Washington. So they had kind of a Jeopardy event that they did with the, with the residents, so it was kind of cool. And, um, and then this is a retirement party for Elena, um, Paragere, who was a resource nurse at Water's Edge uh, for 20 years of service. And so again, celebrating staff and, and their milestones. And so very grateful for Elena and thankful for the service she's provided to our residents. Our 4th of July parade. And so um, those handsome gentlemen there are uh, the sons of Dr. Let's get back to it. The sons of Dr. Joshi. So she had her boys out there. Uh, Pamela Loftus is the individual on the right side of the screen there. Pamela really was the, the ringleader, if you will. She did an amazing job pulling people together. And so you got Dr. Joshi's boys. Um, and Ashna Maharaj, who is an admitting clerk, uh, was the one who stayed up the night before decorating the truck that you will see in the pictures. And, uh, and so we have a few more. That's Frank in the middle. That's Pam's husband who drove the truck during the parade. Um, and um, that's Ashna there along with um, Pam and the truck that they had decorated. And um, some of the staff making their way down the parade. You can see it was, it was super well attended. A lot of folks came out. And um, they find out this guy was chasing their, their little truck there on his bike. So, uh, we had an interlock. Oh, it's you. 
have helmet. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm wearing my helmet. Yeah. Thank you very much for once. Yeah. But yeah. Is that a helmet? I thought it was a cat. Yeah, it's a stylish. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Thank you very it's much. Just in time, some stylish helmet. Yes, indeed. Yeah. It's not just for safety. There you it's go. Not just for safety. <laughs> <laughs> it, was just, it was a beautiful day. The weather was great. The parade route was super well attended. And just my gratitude to Pamela and the team for their effort to, to make this happen. Uh, Trustee Sign, I, I have to apologize. We missed you. He tried to find us, but yeah, but we missed him. See if you had an e-bike like me, you could have chased us down. No, I got your ride. Moving to our quality care. This is something that I just wanted to share. And again, it's kind of small, but I'll read it. We are excited to announce the launch of our new Fast Brain MRI protocol pilot at Alameda Hospital. And this began a few days ago. It was on the 28th of June. Using MRI for acute ischemic stroke patients is accomplished within a time frame similar to scanning a CT exam of the head without delaying treatment or impacting functional outcomes. So accompanying this memo um, is the protocol that people were able to review. And so this will be offered at Alameda from 7 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. seven days a week. So again, just expanding the, the scope of care that's available to our, to our patients. <clears throat> this is a fun one, and I'm gonna stop and um, allow um, our chair to speak just a bit, but I was really proud of Chair Banerjee for our participation in this event recently. It was the San Francisco Bay Area Abortion Rights Coalition um, and I will just say that our AG, Rob Bonta, refers to this group as the Justice League. And uh, Chair, if you had any comments you'd like to share, please. Yeah, thank, thank you. And I have to thank Jeanette Donk, who, you know, um, the San Francisco um, Department on the Status of Women um, is partnering, and uh, Mayor London Breed uh, had made gender equity a big focus of Leoha, but with the overturn of uh, row creating a nine county ecosystem, Bay Area um, County ecosystem of reproductive health and support was really important. And that's how this Bay Area uh, Abortion Right Coalition has come. When this um, invitation came to us, I, of course, uh, at that time, Dr. Kevin Smith was our chair, and I had asked, like, how can we have a uh, frontline person who's actually doing the care present at this. And so he had mentioned Dr. Leisha Pierce. We spoke with them for some time. And then uh, because it was a, a, a more about like how do governments and how do health systems, not so much the clinical part, but how are you resourcing your people to do that? I was so glad to speak uh, here and share about the whole spectrum that we are doing and what is so I think the thing that we have to be so proud about, about AHS, is that Dr. Anna Oshula was there um, as well. She's a division chief of family planning. But it, sometimes there's so much stigma attached to this that uh, abortion care is off to the side, whereas here it's so integrated. You come for primary care, you want to, like, you know, if that is a space that you need to have that care, then that is over there. If you come for secondary, tertiary, like at every level, it is part of a normal, loving, supportive service that is given to our folks. And I think that Dr. Oshula said how hard they had to work and with uh, also the kind of collaboration internally that was needed with operations, with our 
finance IT people because our FQHC clinics, we can't use FQHC dollars, so they have to leave the financing model to be able to perform something there, but bill it separately. It was very complicated, and she especially thanked Dr. Smith for his relentless uh, focus on that, but we have an amazing team over here. And uh, this is just the launch of the coalition, so I hope our staff who are working here and leaders across will be joining um, them. I know Dr. Oshola has been in touch with Alex Boscovich and all the others uh, staff over there, so we will be leading, co-leading leaders in this space as we've always been. Excellent. Well, just a couple of thoughts on that. One, we have heard before how impressed folks have been about our board and how engaged they are. And so your participation is, is just an example of that. So thank you for that. And the other part is that we are very intentional about using the word abortion because to your point, it has been stigmatized and somewhat marginalized. And so it's important that we normalize saying abortion care because that is part of the holistic care that we provide. And so rather than allowing people to to stigmatize that word and make it a bad word, we are actively working to make it a part of our vocabulary as we talk about providing whole person care. Absolutely, thank you. And Dr. Oshula also had some very specific asks um, that she said, like when they asked, what kind of resources do you need? Boom, 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 like these are the things we need and we were able to put that forward with folks too, just more coordination, they need resources, legal aid, help transportation for people and also our base team is doing work to get the word out you can't just google it so sometimes for people to find where to go if you're in the community is hard so there are just so many things we could be doing as we expand and strengthen this so yeah we got our asks in as well excellent and so this was on our social media you can see that this was on our twitter page it was also on our linkedin page and on our facebook so uh, pushing it out broadly via social media. Moving to sustainability, the rounding, and you know, here's the, the data. And I just wanted to, to read a memo that I received after a recent visit to, um, to Park Bridge. I was there doing a little rounding and this came from one of the uh, nursing services directors. And she said, I'm reaching out to let you know that you left a good impression on me. Um, you're visiting our site means a lot to me. This just goes to show that you care for your employees and especially the patients we serve. On top of this, it was mentioned that you, that AHS will be providing new furniture and new carpet in our facility. Thanks for doing this. I'm certain our patients and our families appreciate this. It always gives a smile on my face when I see our patients happy. So, you know, please, this is not about me, but it's about the opportunity to be out and to be physically present and to see opportunities for improvement. So um, after this rounding, we were able to identify some excess materials. We're going to create some new workspace for the nurses there at Park Bridge. They kind of created a makeshift. They put some file cabinets up. And so Mark has identified some, some cubicles that were in storage that we can put in. Also, um, we're replacing the flooring in that facility as a result. And um, there is some plumbing work that needs to be addressed. So we're going to be following up on that. So that's the value of getting out and spending time physically in these facilities to kind of see where the opportunities are for us. And uh, speaking of getting out, we have a walk tomorrow. And so uh, anybody who is available and interested um, will be taking off from Alameda Hospital at uh, 5.30 tomorrow afternoon. We walk about two miles, we'll go down to the beach and come back up. And so, and pets are welcome. So I, I hope that if you're available, you will come in and join us. Um, 
Trusty Sign has done it before with, with pets. Hopefully you can make it again. Um, moving to community connection, something we're very excited about, and I will ask Jeanette to, to help me out here, but we recently were approached by the Oakland Private Industry Council, and um, they'd like for us to join them to, they were founded in 1980, um, and their objective is to provide accessible, high-quality training and employment services to residents and employers. Um, they'd like for us to be a partner both on a financial basis, but also on in-kind basis. And so you can see the talking points there, but in essence, um, we are looking to do a financial sponsorship and then to create opportunities for folks who are in the um, 30K Jobs for Oakland program who have an interest in health careers to um, matriculate through the Alameda Health System and to see if there is a career for them in healthcare. And Jeanette, anything you'd add? Oh, I would just add that they recruit primarily from Oakland, and they also work with the re-entry population. Thank you, Jeanette. And then um, moving to a donor outcome, and <clears throat> we'll not read this to you, but um, I think you know that we participate in the Donor Network West, which allows um, Oregon um, I'm told I'm not supposed to help me, Felicia. What is the right word to say? Because I'm not supposed to say harvest. Oh, donation. The organ donation. Thank you very much. So, when a patient has reached end of life and there's an opportunity for an organ donation, we work with um, um, the network, what the donor network West, to create um, a pathway for these um, donations to take place. And so, this is another example of an outcome. And you can see at the middle of the page. Uh, the liver, both kidneys and heart were recovered for transplantation and the lungs were recovered for research. Um, and so, you know, this is a function of our nurses being responsive. And so you can see on, in the middle of the page there, um, I, Alana Clark made a timely organ referral. Please thank her. And so that's how this works. If our staff are vigilant and, you know, making timely referrals, then we can help those who are so inclined make the gift of life. And very proud of our um, ability to help make sure the gift of life takes place. And that is my report. I'm happy to take any questions or comments. Nelly. Yeah, um, in terms of your CEO rounding, um, I think at the last board meeting, there were probably comments, and you did commit that you will be visiting. Um, John George, so I would like to know whether that has been completed and yes. what's the outcome? Well, it was completed. And so both Mark and I did some rounding immediately after that event. And I think the outcome is that there are opportunities for improvement, but um, it is not monolithic. There are staff who feel that progress has been made. And I would never say that any violence against staff is acceptable. And so our goal is zero. I don't know that we'll ever get there, but certainly that's our objective. Um, what we are seeing, though, is that while the number of assaults has been fairly flat, the number of assaults with injury has gone down pretty dramatically. And so that's a distinction with a difference because, again, no violence is acceptable, but the number of injuries that have been sustained are dramatically lower. And so as you talk to Patty and to Rodney, um, somebody raising their voice, somebody spitting, that's considered an assault, but it's not necessarily an assault with an injury that's associated with it versus, you know, the, the individual who's a former boxer who was hitting me. Um, there was a very small number, I think right now there are three, 
who are responsible for more than almost 30% of the assaults that take place at John George. And so what I saw, and I was running, and I'll let Mark speak for himself, but I saw staff who actively were um, doing turnovers. It was a shift change, and they were talking about a patient who had the potential for violence, and I thought they did an amazing job of interfacing with each other, giving a pass down to make sure that the person coming on understood what were the triggers, how they could make sure that they and everybody around them were protected. And so um, we have opportunities for improvement there, but I would say that um, I believe that the staff generally feel like progress is being made. We haven't made all the progress we should, but certainly we're moving in the right direction. Mark, anything you know? One thing I've had is I was coming up with SCIE and reps along the the John and we walked through some of the concerns they had, and we've got a follow-up meeting with them. We're trying to put them to rest, so to speak, the, the issues. Um, we've got some work to do, but my rounding there was, and, and by the way, the John George report is in the packet tonight, yeah. and if I think if we walk through that, it gives you a little perspective on some of the concerns that some of the union reps had also. But the Esprit de Corps is pretty darn good out there. As, as we walk through. In fact, I had one person come up to me and say, Mark, this is the best it's been out here in 14 years. I've worked here 17 years. So as much as we are going to deal with all of the issues we need to deal with, um, there's also a growing sense of things are getting done by the majority of the people out there. What about, I think they brought the issue, you know, it's going to be really hot right soon. Uh, they brought the issue about the HVAC. I know there's some budget, you know, uh, uh, moving forward to replace, but they have mentioned about it need to be fixed. I mean, is that something that it's fixed? It's fixed. Or fixed. Oh, thank you. That's a John George. Any other? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, James. Our next item on the agenda is our medical staff report, and we have. Uh, Dr. Uh, Lee, Dr. Joshi, and uh, can you tell me the, your name? I see the Sri Lekha. Yeah, Sri Lekha Puranam. Puranam, okay. Who, who wants to go first? I can go. It's really great to see this powerful group of clinical leaders. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. And I just wanted to really express my appreciation for your support um, and your advocacy around abortion care and family planning at AHS. Thank you for what you do, Dr. Lee. We know how hard you, how hard you work for our patients in this space. Thank you, thank you. Um, but I am here to present uh, the AHS Board of Trustees report. And I do have a special guest tonight uh, Dr. Shrilek Rukaranam is the interim chair of the Department of Preventative Medicine, and she will be presenting the community and sustainability portions of the report. So I will start with quality. The AHS medical staff and AH medical staff approved a multi-facility privilege forms for the advanced practice provider in emergency medicine and palliative care. We updated application levels and our policies and procedures for eligibility to obtain temporary privileges. This was done with the purpose of improving provider and department credentialing experience while maintaining our vigorous medical staff processes. At our quality safety committee, the medical staff noted that 11 of our true north metrics are below coal. 
the 2024 TNM dashboard includes two additional elements, including action planning and the responsible party. The medical staff looks forward to supporting and becoming involved in these elements. We also reviewed federal and state regulatory requirements to report hospital equity measures, including health equity strategic plans and efforts to close equity gaps. For staff and patient experience, I wanted to update our board on our department chair recruitment efforts. Mm -hmm. A candidate for emergency medicine chair has been identified and a verbal offer has been made. This candidate is still awaiting a contract. A candidate for orthopedic surgery has been identified by the medical staff search committee and we are awaiting more information. In the imaging and radiology department, the search committee is currently interviewing candidates and we have newly launched a psychiatry chair search committee as well. So Dr. Piranam will present the remaining portion of the report. Thank you, Shuleika. Thanks, Lana. Uh, so I'm the interim chair for the Department of Ambulatory and Preventive Medicine. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, briefly, the Department of Ambulatory and Preventive Medicine encompasses the three freestanding clinics. So located in Eastmont Wellness Center, Hayward Wellness Center, and then the Newark Wellness Center. Uh, and it also includes the urgent care clinic at Highland and the mobile health unit. And we, where we provide primary care services to all our patients from different ethnic backgrounds. We have over 42 clinicians spread across these sites and they provide compassionate high quality care to the patients. And in addition to primary care services, Alameda Health System has been expanding specialty services into these freestanding clinics to increase accessibility. Um, to name a few, it's optometry, we have endocrine services, rheumatology, dermatology, and more in the pipeline. Our freestanding clinics also partner with various local organizations to help address the various social determinants of health, like food insecurity that we, our patients face. Uh, for example, Hayward Wellness Center uh, has partnered with Open Source Wellness to promote the concept of food as medicine. And through group medical visits, uh, we are able to act, reach out to our most vulnerable population and teach them about chronic conditions and how food can be used as a way to treat and prevent these illnesses. Recipe for Health is also a nationally recognized program that is offered and is in, again, following similar models. Um, this incredible work that we do at our freestanding clinics is possible due to the tireless services that our frontline staff provide. And we have a dedicated team of you know, physicians, uh, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, and their goal is, and their goal is an ideal is to provide high quality, equitable care to our vulnerable patients. And it'll tapping into this collective intelligence for ideas and sustainable plans for future is gonna be key. Um, as you can imagine, given our recent pandemic state, and we have had to provide care for those who were left quite vulnerable during this situation, during this public health emergency situation. Primary care access and burnout faced by our physicians, which is actually happening health uh, nationwide across all healthcare systems, is also prevalent at AHS, and we are facing similar challenges. And so it is a it is making it challenging to continue providing these high quality services. But as a department, in addition, we are trying to address these issues. So we are actively trying to recruit new clinicians to expand our workforce. We are working on developing and expanding resources to provide support to our existing providers, say, for in-basket management, uh, when patients call, trying to address their concerns with the first call so that we don't have multiple back and forth. We also have uh, plans to expand our team-based care models. So a lot of work in progress there. 
um, being agile and responsive to work on timely implementation of these ideas in order to prevent any attrition to our current workforce will help AHS to continue providing the care, quality of care that this mission strives for. Thank you. Did anyone have questions for Dr. Uh, I love all of that. I, I did have one question, just for clarification. The group medicine around uh, the Food is Medicine program, is that kind of like uh, health education classes? How does that work? So it's a mixture. We have actually multiple group visits. We have one which is just classes. So we uh, patients where our visits are identified, those who have certain medical conditions, say diabetes, blood pressure, BMI of over a certain level, hyperlipidemia. And we have health classes where we teach them healthy lifestyle. So that is one aspect where month, these are monthly Zoom classes with a nutritionist and a nurse practitioner to kind of uh, review various, uh, how food can be looked at, how they can modify it, and how they should be looking at those things. And during those visits, there's a one-on-one -on -one touch with the nurse practitioner to help give them clinical guidance as well. The open source wellness portion is actually a combination. So they not only talk about specific dietary, there's also an aspect of healthy movement. So exercise a little bit, which is a little bit, which is tailored to uh, how our population can handle it, the level of activity they can handle. And also a little bit of uh, uh, um, mental health is also addressed. So there's uh, there's group sessions where they talk about uh, ways to handle stress, how you could talk, you know, strategies where patients can learn how to handle anxiety and help them form cohorts of groups and maybe expand their, if they are have, facing social isolation, how that those groups can be expanded and how they are connected to various resources in the system, uh, in the society. So that's the group medical visit. And we have actually both in English and Spanish, those group medical visits. Like Thank you for that good details. And I know that uh, a couple months ago, uh, Dr. Portia Mack and, um, uh, presented the, and um, Terrence Shaw presented the ambulatory plan and you already had uh, a lot of vacancies there. So it's been filling up. How resourced do you feel? It's a very, very ambitious plan with because of the Calium requirements. I mean, um, our, our alliance requirements to now see so many of our patients that we weren't actually are allocated to, to the us. ER level two, we won't see. ER, three minutes. Trauma team to the ER level two, ETA, three minutes. I was asking how resource do you feel at this time? Um, so it is challenging still. Uh, we have a shrinking pool of applicants, which every, all the systems are, uh, trying to tap into, and I think there is plans. So there has been, uh, we have been trying to actively work with our recruiters and recruiting partners to see how we can uh, reach out to various programs to see if we can have more candidates applying. Uh, but it is challenging. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. <laughs> Dr. Lee, um, that was the end of the report, right? I'm Yes, yes, that is the end. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, anything from your end, Dr. Lee, in terms of resourcing? And, uh, you know, we did mention burnout for ambulatory. We know burnout is everywhere. Uh, but any other things that are uppermost? No, thank you for asking. You know, our 
our department and from what I hear from other departments um, have challenges very similar to what Dr. Piranha mentioned about uh, just burnout and how you know the, the resource for we new physicians or hiring is a, sh a shrinking party. We have a lot of competition out there. And so I'm hoping we can work with AHS to really make us uh, c competitive in that market um, so that we really can get these patients in so they can get the care that they need. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Point well taken. Um, Dr. Hi, everyone. Thank you for allowing me to give my report this evening. Um, my report is enclosed, so for community, uh, James uh, stole my thunder. I was going to mention that we participated in the 4th of July parade. It really was a lot of fun. And thank you for highlighting uh, all the people who came because it really was a collaborative effort. And I invite every single one of you to come next year. Although we may not hand out flags because to be frank, that was exhausting running for a <laughs> while. We decided we may blow bubbles instead. <laughs> um, under, um, let's see, under sustainability. So we had really good dialogue at our last AHMEC from Dr. Laura Lang of the perioperative services to give an update on our OR utilization at Alameda Hospital. And we talked about some of the opportunities. And so that was really an exploratory conversation. And at our next MEC, I think we're gonna have much more of a dialogue um, of our current utilization and any opportunities that we have to um, utilize it. Uh, some of our services are um, going to San Leandro, such as Ortho. Some are moving back to Alameda, such as Pain. So I think a deep dive into how we are utilizing the operating rooms at Alameda Hospital will be a really great thing. Um, we had a meeting um, previously about chillers and equipment related to the bullet of infrastructure and operational needs. Uh, we're waiting for a follow-up meeting to be scheduled. This topic in particular is about Alameda Hospital currently has one chiller. And so when the weather becomes extreme, such as the heat that uh, is sure to come in the upcoming months, what we, will we do, especially again, regarding operating rooms. So we're looking forward to that meeting being scheduled next so that we can hear more about contingency planning. And then June 26th, we had a another joint planning committee meeting regarding Alameda Hospital, there were some great presentations of ways to um, utilize Alameda Hospital looking towards the future. There is another meeting that is scheduled for July 31st. So we're looking forward to that. And these meetings are really being spearheaded by Mark Fratsky. And so I really wanna think again that MEC is invited and we are part of the conversation. And from what is currently being discussed, we are still in exploratory phase of what we um, are, what are our options for Alameda Hospital. So really look forward to learning more and um, the next meeting, which will be on the 31st. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Your sons were definitely the best ambassadors <laughs> we could have had for IHS. So, you know, special props to them for uh, joining. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and we had an update at our presentation at the Finance Committee meeting on some of the issues that you spoke about, and we know how much top of mind it is for uh, both our ELT and our board, so we will be following up uh, on that. So, thank you. Any questions? 
Hi, good evening all. Uh, uh, San Leandro has two big patient care initiatives, one that's shared with Alameda that I've previous, uh, previously mentioned uh, relating to airway for uh, emergent but not crashing coding patients, which has been finalized and will be shared at our next uh, meeting in August. Uh, there's also a protocol for pre-op clearance of dialysis patients uh, needing surgery uh, led by our surgery department um, and Dr. Victorino, which I think is a big step forward uh, in uh, caring for our dialysis patients. Um, we are very much looking forward to our CT scanner going uh, live in-house. Uh, the mobile uh, CT scanner um, downtime has just become too burdensome for uh care and uh, for our patients. Um, so really hope, uh, looking forward to uh, being functional again, uh, as well as the mobile PET scanner that can serve as a, as a backup. Uh, finally, I wanted to share a success story, which is a success story on multiple fronts and acknowledge uh, heroic uh, teamwork uh, in the uh, San Leandro Emergency Department two weeks ago, uh, led by Dr. Sammy Hodroach. Uh, the team delivered a baby in the San Leandro ED. Um, now, any such event is worth celebrating, but this event was especially noteworthy because of the clinical complexity uh, and the ultimate good outcome for both mother and baby. A lot of great uh, feedback about uh, teamwork uh, among nursing, techs, respiratory tech, and even supply coordinators from material management. Uh, so I'm very proud of uh, what took place this day, and I'm hoping to forward this to PACE to, to highlight it even further and broader. Uh, it speaks volumes about uh, the good work that's been happening at San Leandro. I've been updating you all about the pediatric readiness work at San Leandro. Uh, ironically, that's also led by Dr. Hodrich, and this was all of that hard work in play. Um, so just want to acknowledge everyone who was involved with this, um, and you may have heard about it from different channels. Um, I just wanted to mention it here again. Uh, I don't have much more to share. Um, our next meeting will be August 1st. Uh, thank you all. Thank you, Dr. Sali, And uh, you know, uh, gratitude and congratulations to the team. It's like when you have a safe and uh, healthy birth outcome, it's impacting the next generation in so many ways, not just this one, but next one. So for healthy, parent, a healthy mother, healthy baby, the start in life, um, that's profound. Um, and um, for, I uh, wanted to ask the MTALA surveys happening here, like is there any update you all have from the ED visit? I know it was the Monday, Tuesday, was at Highlands? Yes, so they're still here. Actually, they're here as of today. Nilda is on the line. Nilda, is there anything that you can share with the board this evening about um, the, the MTALA survey thus far? You're muted. Nope, still muted. Oh, not yet. Okay. So maybe we'll we'll uh, when you when we do the joint commission yeah. update that yeah. you can tell us if there's anything. I wanted to ask our ED docs here, like if you all had had anything that. But um, that's great. But thank you so much um, to our chiefs here. Go ahead, Trustee. Um, yeah, I would like to know. I appreciate the the pediatric readiness, and I know we've had 
some pediatric patients hanging in our ER for extended periods. It's nice to have a welcome and the ability to respond to that need in the moment. How are we looking right now when it comes to length of stay for our pediatric 5150s? Are we seeing any changes? Um, well, the, the thing with that, with that is, uh, yeah, I, I don't want that topic to be laid to rest just yet. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure we've made positive uh, sort of encroachment there. Uh, it tends to come come in waves. We haven't had a pediatric 5150 patient for a couple of weeks now, so uh, I don't, I don't want to give a, uh, a false sense of reassurance and, and um, say that that we're out of the woods with with that topic. Um, we haven't had much uh, movement with with the county, um, and uh, I haven't had any updates about uh, uh, Willow Rock and their uh, uh, CSU recently. Um, so I'd like to leave that as deferred for now, pending more updates on the CSU and its ability to absorb these patients. But uh, San Leandro and Alameda, we haven't had uh, any 5150 patients, I'd say, in the last month. Just going to one of our follow-up uh, things. And one, the CT scan, uh, Mark Fredsky, where are we on that? I know that. Yes. The new CT scan will be done the end of August. The new CR project, is, or the new fixed X-ray project is all done. So. At the end of August, San Leandro will have a brand new imaging suite. Then we're going to remove the portable trailer CT scan and put an MRI PET combination out there. It'll be the first time we've had PET scanning ever at Alameda Hospital. So all of those that are going out, we can do there. Um, Dr. Sali, another month and I have to hold on to, I know you've been, you know, you bring this up often, um, hopefully light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you, I'll definitely looking forward to the new machines. No questions for Dr. Sali. All right, thank you. Thank um, you. Moving on to the, our next item, which is the community, uh, committee reports. And so I'll invite, uh, Trustee Friedman to give us an update on the audit compliance. Thank you very much. Uh, we met on June 21st and we dealt with the things we usually deal with, which included external financial audit planning, cybersecurity update, review of risk assessment, and internal audit compliance reporting summary. The great news is there's nothing to report and the more boring those meetings are, the better it is for everyone. Thank you, Trustee Freeman. Trustee Bouquet for our quality and professional services. The quality committee met on June 28th um, as we did and we did our standard work as well, which was reviewing quality data, approving policies and procedures, uh, reviewing credentialing, reviewing and approving credentialing. Our two articles that we discussed that evening were one, uh, a New York Times article, which was hot and popular amongst um, many in the healthcare industry. It was called The Moral Crisis of America's Doctors. I'll encourage the uh, trustees who don't attend that meeting to read that one. And the, and the second article was uh, why are ER waiting times getting longer? That was apropos to one of the keynote discussions that we had that evening, which was we heard sort of the state of throughput. I think everyone who's on, our, on the system email chain knows that we're always in overflow at Highland. 
And uh, 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 I'll summarize by saying it was, it was a nice presentation to outline uh, the multi-pronged approach that we're trying to do to strive to put a dent in our throughput issues, uh, which have sort of been persistent long and it feels intractable, but I think there are, is some small traction which is being made on that. The other uh, keynote uh, talk we had, uh, which kind of this was, was, a, was a nice, uh, it was a nice little uh, quality improvement project, which actually had big financial impact. It was actually from Jonathan Hernandez, who's our chief of ophthalmology here, and it was on digital ret retinal screening. Sounds a little bit benign at, at its base, but when you hear the presentation and you see this uh, through a team working together and not being super resourced on doing things, they had to get a new machine, but uh, actually working on processes, they were able to take our digital retinal screening up to our quality and uh, our QIP standard, which was worth, Dr. Torbeni, I'm happy, it was like $1.5 million, $1 million because we had below been nearly half of what we needed to be. And in a relatively short term, they were able to get it. So it sounds benign, props to, to Dr. Hernandez and uh, to Holly Garcia and uh, Jamie Martin who, who gave that talk. It was a big thing which had a fiscal impact on our QIP. So what I, I love when Dr. Tornabene finds those little uh, little nuggets of gold in the organization. Hopefully we can keep finding more of those. And that was the QPSC for that evening. Thank you, Dr. Booker. That was an excellent and relevant article. And as Dr. Hernandez told us, that all of these improvements were in-house, yeah. not needing <laughs> consultancy. A he underlined <laughs> and made sure we heard that. Trustee Fox for the Finance Committee. Okay, the Finance Committee met on July 5th. Uh, we had an article to discuss. <laughs> Uh, which was about ER wait times getting longer over the 10-year period ending in 2021. And uh, AHS has been uh, experiencing that as well as many ERs across the country because of closures of some hospitals in ERs. We went on to hear the report from our chief financial officer and volume continues to be above budget in some key areas which drive profitability, including ER and trauma visits, surgeries, clinic visits, uh, and physician RVUs. Uh, favorable development was that in May, uh, discharges were also above budget, uh, which I think is the first time this year that that has happened. Uh, we're still behind year to date, but uh, that's a favorable volume trend going toward next year. Uh, collection ratio, 18.6% uh, of gross charges compared to 18.2% budget. Doesn't sound like a big variance, but it's worth $15 million. Uh, in net revenue, um, and Measure A and supplemental programs continue to be well above budget. Um, so the result of all this is uh, that our operating revenue is 12% above budget year to date. That's a $136 million variance, but our operating expense is still 13% above budget, um, $140 million unfavorable variance, and $116 million of that variance is labor and benefits. So our net income through May, with only one month left to go in the year, uh, is $5 million under budget at $37 million, 11% variance. But our EBITDA is right at budget at $41 million. Um, the NNB is still uh, significantly in our favor by $64 million in change. So overall, a favorable report. And we wait 
June and year end. Um, we also had a report, uh, an update on John George uh, from Mark Fratsky and Patty Espeseth, who's the CAO at John George. Uh, a pretty favorable report. Um, uh, we are meeting the emotional needs of our patients there, uh, even though most of them are there against their will. And uh, uh, along the lines that uh, we, we talked about uh, earlier during the CEO report, our workers' comp, the cost of our workers' comp injuries are significantly lower this year than they have been in the last three or four years. Um, usually those, there is some what's called development in the trade. So, so our cost uh, reserves go up, but still prob they probably will not get to the extent that they've been on in previous years. So that's favorable development. Also employee turnover is well below what it had been in prior years. Um, and the JCO survey came back this year, very complimentary reports about uh, what's happened over the last three years in John George. Uh, next, we had a report uh, from Mark Fratsky uh, and also Mario Harding about uh, the uh, meeting the uh, capital emergency capital needs at Alameda Hospital. This was a discussion only agenda item. No action uh, was to be taken. Uh, Mr. Frasky discussed a couple of options for beginning infrastructure replacements at Alameda. Uh, Trustee <clears throat> Splendorio requested legal guidance as to which replacements we are obligated to do under the Joint Powers Act, uh, which don't uh, include anything that would be part of the 2030 seismic requirement. There was quite a bit of discussion after that but no action. Questions? That's my report. Thank, thank you, Chair Fox. And um, some of these are in our vote packet. There was an enterprise-wide update, which was so incredible. And also the um, John George. So they, they are in our uh, packet. So for those who don't want that the finance live, these were really good to see. Moving on to item E, which is our consent agenda. We have uh, six items, uh, but we do not have the uh, minutes for E2, which is the AHMG Board of Directors meeting for May and June. So we have E1, which is the approval of minutes, um, E3, system-wide policies, uh, E4, medical staff policies, approval of contracts, and finally, approval of the compliance and internal audit work plan. Um, is there any discussion or anything to be brought out? Madam Chair, I'll, I'll have a question on E5A, the UCSF neurosurgery. Sure. But I'm okay to approve everything else. Uh, and then just pull that out for discussion and then probably approve it right after. Okay, that, that, is that acceptable? that's ex acceptable. Um, yes. I have one minor. Revision to the minutes on page four of six of the board minutes. Top line, uh, there needs to be an and added. Okay. Um, Clark, have you noted that with that uh, edit to the minutes? Um, I had uh, a clarification question as well on the E3 and, um, you know, some of those look like 
Uh, so, so we have three things that we want to just keep for uh, one oh. has, has done. So why don't you go ahead and then we'll call. Do we call the motion first? I, I, I would make the motion to approve everything except for those items to be discussed. Then we discuss them and probably approve them individually. Is that, is that right, Council? That's right. Okay, so let's make a motion. I, I make a motion to approve the consent agenda with exception to items E5A, uh, uh, one of the polys for which Trustee Banerjee made in E3. I don't know which one. And then there was one more comment. I'm E6. And then, and then a, a comment on E6. E2 should be removed. So, sorry, remove E2, e, E5A, and E6. And note that E1 is amended as per trustee Fox. What he said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a, a motion and a second on the floor. Would you please take? Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. Trustee Sign. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Motion passes. Can you go first? Yes, ma'am. Uh, uh, I think Mr. Frasky owns this one. Pretty no, simple. Actually, sir. is it? It's UCSF. It's, it's me. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, I was wondering. I was subbing last. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Tornaveni, as we go into physician contracting, uh, I know our nurse, neurosurgeons work very hard and they cover. Are there any performance metrics included in this contract? Not in this one. Okay. So, we, so we have some in some of the other contracts, but not in this one. This was just the coverage one. Got it. My question is answered now. Has been answered. Okay. Um, I move approval. Um, uh, should we do that now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, second it. Uh, Trustee Energy. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Sorry, Thank couldn't you. hear. Thought I was going <laughs> <Sorry>. off. <laughs> Trustee Esteem. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Placacion. Aye. Trustee Sign. Aye. Trustee Spandori. Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. Um, for E2, there, um, the, which is the, sorry, E2 we don't have. Um, E3, the uh, approval of systems procedures. Uh, there were some things that sounds seemed more like summary reports, like the medication yes. event summary, the medication reconciliation, and the error reduction plan summary. So they didn't seem more like policies, but more like or, reports. Or so just wanted to know, like, were we supposed to uh, approve some of those? And also, uh, there was one question that um, with the medical reconciliation, um, it said that by as per uh, EPIC default mode, it's a, it's a 24 hour requirement for medical reconciliation and San Leandro Hospital and Alameda Hospital, I think were doing fairly well on that. Highland Hospital was a little lower on that. And was there a recommendation to not loosen, I, I want to use a better word than that, reduce, dilute the, the uh, uh, what we are approving is a revamp of the policy to reduce, to move from like, to a reconciliation meeting more than 24 hours. So is that like what we are going to be approving? Any change in the policy? Nilda, is that something that you um, 
but we just wanted to know what we are approving in some yeah. of those summary reports. I, I agree, Madam Chair. It, it starts on page 47 of the document. Yes, 47 it's, it's from, and then 65, yeah. page 47. Which are actually 65. nice reports. Wonderful reports. Uh, which actually were pretty dense with data. Um, but uh, I, I have the same question. Why was it in the consent package? I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why. Please let me know if you can hear me. I hope. We can now hear you. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm not sure why. I do know that we have a medica medication reconciliation work group that's actually meeting this week. Um, and so we are just trying to clarify the understanding of the requirements around med reconciliation. So I'm partnering with pharmacy leadership. Um, and so I, I'm, I, I, I did not know that this was going to be in the packet. So I'm sorry that I can't speak to that a little bit more knowledgeably, but I could for future meeting because we're meeting tomorrow. Okay, so I presume those are for info only. We are not approving or any any changes to policy or any changes to EPIC over there. All right, um, thank you. And then for um, the item E6 uh, compliance, um, just a clarification that there was uh, in that report there was physician contract and time cards. Is that the clarification that we needed, um, Maryland Boston? Are you on for us to clarify? Well, if she's not here, then I know that we discussed in the audit committee um, some of the work plan, but we just wanted to make sure that. Chair Banerjee, uh, you're looking for exactly what in the audit uh, plan? Um, it's on the last page of the consent. Yeah, which page is that? I uh, page there's a couple of things, physician payment, internal controls, and time card audit. So all of those are included in that among that list of things to be. Okay. okay, all right. Thank you. All right, so E2, I have the clarification on E3 and E6. So if we have a motion on those two, please. So second. second. All right. Who seconded? I'm sorry. Uh, Trustee Fox. Thank you. That's the F and F. Survey findings, we've had that update at the QPSC, but we wanted to know that and also some of the action plans. Okay, I will share my screen. Okay, um, hang on a second. I'm going to double check that I'm not sharing something in a, incorrectly because I think I hit the wrong button. Okay, let's see. Share screen. Can we share screen? Okay, there we go. All right. 
Thank you. Uh, can um, okay. So I'm going to give a brief overview. I'm going to try to keep uh, my uh, my discussion. Um, it does look like a lot of slides, but believe me, I'm I'm going to endeavor to speak to each slide and then allow time for discussion and also hand over to my uh, my peer, my colleague uh, Darshan Graywall after I'm finished. Um, so we had our Joint Commission survey uh, at the core facilities for AHS. As everyone knows, that was in April. We had a survey team. They assessed our uh, compliance with uh, regulatory standards, <laughs> Joint Commission for both the hospital program and our behavioral health care accreditation program. And that survey ended on the 21st of April. Uh, we had a number of findings that were spread across these chapters. This is the list of chapters with the list of findings. And in each finding, uh, there may be several observations that contribute to that finding. So here's a breakdown of the number of observations under each one. What I want to talk about also is Alameda Hospital's uh, journey in Joint Commission, because the, of course we are a system and I did not, and I don't think I've had a uh, opportunity to speak about them in a bit. We had our survey in 2022. It was substantially delayed due to the pandemic. Their survey started in June. It was eight months late and we actually experienced a split survey. So there were two separate survey teams for Alameda Hospital. Alameda Hospital did very well. I looked back as a comparison for how we had done in our previous survey because we're always looking to improve and we did improve. We had 48 findings across Alameda Hospital in 2018 and we had 25 in 2022. Given the challenges of a pandemic, given the challenges of changes in, in um, operational uh, departments, um, it was quite a, a, a wonderful achievement. And we had zero high risk findings for that survey. So the Alameda uh, hospital team um, and leadership and our physicians um, and our system-wide departments that supported that survey really should take a moment of, uh, to feel um, an ongoing pride in the fact that they worked so hard, especially through those challenging circumstances. But let's go back to the core and the core actually has, I looked, was able to look back at our surveys over the last three periods. Uh, I wanna call out that of course, San Leandro Hospital was not part of the core uh, accreditation program. We actually, when San Leandro Hospital joined the system, we had three separate uh, hospital uh, accreditation programs. We had San Leandro, we had Alameda and we had the core. Um, so the number of findings you would expect that they would go up uh, because now you have another facility. Um, but uh, as we endeavor to be, a system, we hope that we would normalize that increase in, oppor uh, in, in opportunities to find standard findings that we would normalize that over time. So the total number of findings that we had uh, for hospital accreditation were 54 in 2017. Then CMS did uh, ask the Joint Commission to be a little bit more stringent. Uh, they were actually told that they were being a little bit too lenient, and they actually came out with a whole new slew of, of, of standards and a whole new, uh, I want to say, uh, survey methodology. Uh, so that increased the number of findings that everyone expected to see after that time, after that time in uh, 2017. So um, that was the number of findings that we had in 2017. And then we had 78 in 2020. Um, that was our, our survey in 2020. And then the pandemic happened. And then we had our resurvey, which uh, resulted in the findings of 2023, where there were only 38. Behavioral health saw, uh, saw a little bit of a bump up across their findings um, over that three-year period. But then they uh, also performed strongly in 2023 and came back down. 
what I want to say, I mean, all this, all these colors and everything, it, it says one thing, but I actually tried to do a trend line for how we've improved. And this actually shows that we are continuing to move in the right direction, that despite the challenges, and this I looked across the three entire three years, and we're still moving in that strong progression. What I want to say is that that is the result of concerted effort and collaboration among all leaders. This is my favorite quote that talks about quality. And I've always I've always shown this to people and said, I, I, I truly believe and I know because I see it, quality is never an accident. And it is actually concerted effort and commitment. And I really do feel that the organization is exemplifying the, these um, ideals and trying to work very, dif uh, very di uh, diligently in that direction. The we didn't get there by accident. We got there through a lot of work. And these are the key achievements that if I look back over my time that I've been here and I look back at how we are doing as an organization, these are the things I would point out to as our key achievements. We made tremendous strides in improvement for performance and consistency and sterile processing across all areas in the system, both in the larger areas that you think of, of course, sterile processing for our procedural areas, but even in our clinics and um, everywhere that any procedural uh, and sterile processing opportunity exists, people have paid attention to that. In nursing, in pharmacy, in laboratory, we've had high we've had high risk administration of medications and blood products uh, take a substantial move forward in the safety and ensuring that these processes are standardized. And in fact, during our CAP survey, we had zero findings, and that's a combination of nurses at the bedside doing the right things. It's a combination of laboratories setting a standard and expectation and communicating that and working collaboratively with everyone. And then we've had wonderful engagement by leaders at all levels. So when it comes to regulatory compliance, it's a source of pride for me and my team and for uh, the entire quality department that we have great participation when we do our offerings and education. When we do the lunch and learns, people show up. People show up with good questions. People show up with good discussion points. People are supportive of each other and people come with a genuine sense of transparency. I wanna know how to do this right. We do the joint commission uh, breakfast briefings. We do CMS education. We do huddle alerts and we do something called KSAs, which I know I did not write out the acronym. It's a little long on the slide, but that's knowledge, skills, assessments. Um, and we've used those tools effectively to improve, I think, the engagement around quality and regulatory compliance. We've had partnership in department tracers and audits for quality improvement. I, I, I could list the entire uh, organization, but these are the areas that tend to have the most findings. We've been working in partnership with OR, with the operating room, with sterile processing department, with our infection prevention control partners, our partners in environmental services, our partners in facilities and engineering, our partners in pharmacy, laboratory, biomedical, uh, ambulatory care and nursing. It's a concerted effort, it's a, it's a collaboration. It takes everyone working in that direction. But I do never lose sight of the opportunities. And I looked back across all of our surveys and I came to, and looked back at how we performed in 2023 and I identified three areas of opportunity. These what I would say are the biggest buckets where we have some work to do that could make a tremendous improvement in how we perform for our next survey and just how we perform daily, daily on the daily to uh, be demonstrate consist uh, continuous quality improvement and maybe moving and maybe moving closer to being a high reliable organization. 
That's clinical documentation. And when I say clinical documentation, that isn't just the physicians, it isn't just the nurses, it's everybody. This is a, a collaboration of how we document. Um, this would be every department that touches anything around documentation, our HIM department, our clinical informatics department, our patient access department, our quality department. Patient rights is another opportunity. Not that we don't, not that we aren't doing well and that we haven't made improvements, but we still have some things that we need to tighten up. And that still is an area of great vulnerability in any organization. Um, human resources and personnel. How do we ensure that we have some opportunities? How do we ensure that we are putting forth the best workforce and, and also the best leadership to ensure that we are delivering consistent quality care? I did a, a little bit of a, of a, a small short list of things that we could do um, that I've identified. You know, one of the things about our clinical documentation is we were new to the EPIC world uh, when we were surveyed in 2020. Now we're in 2023, but we've also gone through a strange bubble with the pandemic. So, you know, I think our opportunities to be adept users and to really look at and stand, have that 50 foot or 20 foot, you know, step back and looking at our workflows, we haven't had. And so I think that's something that we need to uh, continue to work on. We looked at our corrective action plans We uh, during that process and we discovered some gaps among just even people having the right template or the right access. And that's not something that people would intuitively know until they go to execute something. Um, some things in terminology and just really some end user deficiencies in knowledge or just things that people uh, weren't aware of. Um, patient rights and record of care. We have some opportunities uh, around the use of interpreters, around always uh, making sure people understand our consent process and just other patient care activities that are related. In human resources and personnel, across every setting, across er with every type of workforce, we have some, we need to develop some more process processes to ensure um, that people are well prepared to do their job and they have that accountability. Uh, and that's for our permanent staff, our contracted staff, our temporary. So again, I would just say that um, I, we've identified an opportunity to have some strategies for continuous survey readiness, but continuous quality improvement is how I see it. And just always being ready every day, every encounter for every patient. Um, we need to implement and communicate kind of a comprehensive strategy. We're working on that right now within quality and working with um, my leadership on that um, and, and also our other additional um, ex executive level leaders on what they're working on and how we communicate that. Uh, we need to develop some multidisciplinary work groups around some of these quality assurance performance improvement opportunities. And, and these need to be co-led by regulatory and quality along with our subject matter experts and the key stakeholders because we want everybody marketing marching in the same direction. And I always say that it's important that once something's identified, we have the opportunity to take action and to fix it today rather than somebody else telling us about it tomorrow. So um, I'm going to, how we're going to do that is we're going to continue the things that have been working. We're going to layer on to that other additional work. Um, we've done the regulatory lunch and learns. We've done the breakfast briefings and the CMS webinars. We also open these opportunities up to the board. I just want to make a, a statement about that, that when we send these out, we also share that information. So the board is welcome to participate in any of these learnings, if you wish, or if you're just curious and want to uh, participate, please do. We also will be doing mock surveys. We also will be continuing to keep all of our information public and available to all staff at any time. Everything is here on our page. Everything's broken out. Any new information we get, we publish it. 
And then we want to continue to distribute and share tools and resources that people can use right at their fingertips so that they have what they need, if they have a question, and that also that they know who to reach to, out to if they need help. I'm gonna stop there and uh, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Nilda. That was very comprehensive. Questions? Uh, I just wanna say that I so appreciate your <laughs> attitude around receiving the feedback as an opportunity because it can be scary to have findings from any kind of a survey, even when it's less than four. Um, and I, I appreciate the approach. That's the only way really to try to get it right. So thank you for being comprehensive in, in your process. Thank you, Tristan. And thank you for inviting us to participate as well. Yes, yes, please. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Questions? I think uh, back to you or to uh, Dr. Tonabene, I know that, I mean, we, we know that when you're working for an exam, you kind of are in like this mode, and when the yeah. exam is over, it's easy to fall apart. So, like, what, what, how is that sustained? Like, you know, to be almost like survey ready all the time. Like, how does that happen? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm sorry. And it goes to the things that. Um, no, but at this, like, yes, at the bedside level, the, the, you build it into the system, into the structure, and we saw that with our leaders across the system is around you know, doing the regulatory grounding, you know, doing these audits very proactively and building that into the culture really across the, the leadership. And I, I, I think that made a difference um, between, you know, from the survey, you know, from 2020 and then the survey in 2023. Um, and that cultural shift, I, I think, is enduring. That's my, my sense is that for, for continuous read, readiness, it is absolutely enduring. And Nilda is absolutely right on the, the areas that she called out on, you know, we, we have the system in place to look at the areas that we had improved upon. And, you know, there are some elements in clinical documentation that, that we were talking about, and I remember talking about it with the lead surveyor saying, yeah, gosh, we do need to now systematize that audit process around how are we doing on making sure all of the elements of our HPs, for example, are in there. And, and so that, I think, is the phase. Maintaining the things we improved and then building a system for the ones that, that we need to work on. I have a question. Yes, go ahead. Um, Nilda, you didn't mention anything related to environment of care. And I'm just wondering, was the were they part of the survey? And uh, if if there's, you don't see any significant follow-up needed there, I would just say that that's an outstanding result because we're talking here about all the, the, the building and, and facility-related issues, uh, which, and safety issues, especially yeah. then, uh, um, so no. many locations to not have significant issues right. is, is really a, a tremendous accomplishment. Yes, and thank you so much. I'm so sorry I, I didn't call them out. Um, when I mentioned facilities, facilities and engineering, we have all facilities <coughs> that are responsible uh, for the environment of care at each individual facility. So we have somebody at Highland, San Leandro, John George, somebody that leads, and that team works that way. That, that is a significant part. I mean, one of the biggest things is safety. You know, we are we're always discussing about the safety of, for our patients and quality care needs to happen 
but it needs to happen in a safe environment as well. So those are definitely uh, areas of, of key focus. They are, that is the area that has the most standards under the Joint Commission. And so I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't call it out with its own little bullet point, uh, but it, it is one of the areas that's most frequently cited because it has the most opportunity. And there are that is the largest chapter of the Joint Commission standards. So we do work with uh, our environment, our engineering and facilities team. We also share our information and our audit data that we get from CENTAC. We share that with our environmental health services team. So if there's, we see opportunities and we are an active member of the Environment of Care Committee. So uh, yes, we do call out uh, new standards, new changes and opportunities. And we do try to partner um, and see if we can get in front of anything before uh, it becomes a problem. But they've been, um, all of those departments have been very collegial, one good partners. Um, and I think there's also um, a um, eagerness to learn about, and there's so many frequent changes that happen. So they're, they are, they have a tough, a tough job uh, in terms of just ongoing compliance. And so uh, one of our opportunities that we have identified with them through the auditing and the rounding that we've done is to try to operationalize what the compliance looks like. And a lot of that is communication to our vendors because we have a lot of vendors that take parts of that environment of care. Uh, the people who come in and do the testing and the balancing and the, the uh, validation reports. Um, and so that's something that we're working on uh, 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 quite a bit in 2023. So hopefully that will make, uh, show some good results coming forward. Thank you for your question. Thank you, Nilda. So uh, there were some actions that were taken right during the survey and corrected even before the surveyors had left the other action plans have gone in and then there is this is there some cycle they come back and like do check on some of the findings is there anything Oh, so fortunately, uh, we will not be having a resurvey because we had no uh, condition level findings. All of the corrective action plans were submitted. Uh, they were all due by June 20th. And we kind of do a two week wait after that, of course, because of the 4th of July holiday, we kind of wait and see if they come back to us with any questions. They haven't so far. We're trying to give ourselves, you know, a few more days, maybe to mid month to say, okay, but we've already started the work. Everybody, we already have data that's already been collected for across some department, and we are already starting to report that out at our quality uh, safety committee. Um, so uh, that is something that the work's already started. Um, so thank you for asking about that. Yeah, a good engagement. I have to say, even with some of the more challenging findings, we it was not um, it was not difficult uh, to to get folks on board with looking and examining the data and uh, collecting data if we haven't done so in the past. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the results that we're going to see in the next four months. Thank you so much. And it's like your team is doing the, you know, learning, teaching, um, and making sure folks are aware of the compliance and regulatory needs that we have and with registry and new people coming and it's actually the people at the bedside who have to make sure that all that they are learning is being implemented on a like a minute by minute basis. So it's like every every single person has to has a role to play in this. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you, Nilda. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm gonna turn it to Darshan Grewal, our system director for patient safety and Darshan, we know we had Darshan our for the QPSC and the full board, but um, uh, to share so much about like 
we've you know, heard about the culture of safety, but our partnership with Beta Health Group, which is our risk insurer, has a bunch of other programs that are as germane to every element of quality and sustainability. So thank you, Darshan, for sharing with us some of the other work, all of the different elements of the, our partnership with Beta. Oh, you're, you're on mute, Darshan. Your line is muted. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, board members and um, executive leaders for having me present this evening. And I just wanted to share a little personal story before I get started. Um, I came to AHS about five years ago, and many of you had the opportunity to work with um, Dr. Tanvir Hussein, who had recruited me. And my biggest fear was leading a organization that had a lot of resources and solid infrastructure and creating a new structure within the quality department. And uh, my leader was um, very candid with me and he said, no, you're going to come and you're going to create something, create something that's going to help AHS in the patient safety world and we're going to give you a blank canvas and so i came with um some nervousness and anxiety but uh with a mindset that yes i i want to come with the challenge and i want to do something that's uh giving back to the community and i want to i want to be part of the change so just with that empowerment that he gave me uh, when I first arrived, he was right. We didn't have the infrastructure in place. But I soon learned that we had partners out that were there to advocate with us and build a strong infrastructure. Uh, early on, I reached out to our beta healthcare group and they um, bond, built a partnership with the patient safety team and helped equip us with uh, sharing evidence-based best practices that are recommended nationally in, in most high reliability organizations. So it was basically a no-brainer because I had the experts who helped me put in place what we needed to make the necessary improvements uh, that AHS was, was ready for. So I'm gonna share my screen and share a little bit about the journey that we've had um, since we've been here, since I've been here. So again, I really wanna focus on what Beta has to offer us as an organization and uh, sort of where we were at, where we've, what we've achieved, however, where we need to get to in the future. So sort of in those three um, areas of opportunity. So what they, what they have in place, it's called the beta heart domains. And they basically have five very comprehensive programs, like I said, that are based on reputable um, agencies like IHI, the Commission, even a lot of the CMS standards uh, and conditions of participation. They're all embedded in the work and framework that they do. And so there are five major pillars as part of the heart domain, and each pillar actually 
builds competencies to then go to the second stage and then the third stage, because there's factors in each, each program that help build and get you prepared for the next one. So these are the five heart domains uh, that build towards high reliability. Um, where's our journey right now as far as those five pillars? So in fiscal year 2022, we had actually achieved the first of the five heart domains, which was the work that we did with the culture of safety survey and the just culture algorithm that we adopted as an organization. And um, I'm going to shortly show you um, and, and maybe ask the board members, do you feel that we've achieved that based on the results that we've actually seen from implementing those programs? I am very, very, very thrilled that the next domain, which is the rapid event response and analysis, meaning that we need to have a very comprehensive program to uh, um, uh, assess, manage, and mitigate any patient harm events that happen uh, or any high-risk events that happen. We actually, um, just last week, we got notification from Beta that we actually are now validated for that domain. And um, I'm very happy. It's taken me five years to prove to Beta that we are um, indeed have made that, that uh, leap and we're in a better place. There are three programs that I would like to present to the board that I have projected timelines on because I think it's really important that we have a very intentional, focused um, commitment to continue our journey along high reliability because we, we have a long way to go still. Although we've achieved a lot, but we still have a lot to still achieve to make it as part of the ingrained culture within our organization. Um, I'm gonna go into a little bit more detail. Uh, the next one is communication and transparency. And that's basically after a, a harm event happens, how do we as an organization um, communicate to families and, and patients and involve them in the improvement efforts that we wanna make as an organization? Um, the next one is care for the caregiver. How do we take care of our own people? They are heavily, heavily impacted by harm events. They literally become second victims of these types of situations. And we have an obligation as an organization to take care of our own clinicians and teams that are impacted. And then if we do everything as prescribed, the opportunity for us to have early resolution by rebuilding our trust with our patients and families and really reducing the amount of claims and litigation and um, restoring our reputation with, with the community, with those people that are impacted, we can actually come to a point of early resolution, uh, even though harm has been done. Now I ask you, I'm gonna go back to the very first domain that we actually achieved fiscal year 2022. I just wanna show, demonstrate a little bit of um, analysis on why Beta is confident that we deserve that designation. 
and what what I would like to share with the board to sort of show evidence that we've we've made that. But uh, making it and sustaining it are two different buckets, of course, right? Um, so. Uh, Beta Health Group had announced to me um, of the 80, 80 healthcare systems that they insure, we were the one and only healthcare system, and we're one of the larger ones they insure. For 2023, if you see this column, we were the only healthcare system that had a positive improvement in all 15 domains that were part of the culture of safety survey. Um, actually, when the senior risk director shared that with myself and our team, she got so choked up and started crying because she had started with us over 12 years ago and she hasn't seen so much engagement, but over the last five years or so, she said, you guys never even utilized us. We were always here. I'm so glad that you decided to capitalize on these resources that are available to you as an organization. So again, um, we achieved that. Uh, 73 of the 160 departments that we surveyed this, this survey time, of those 73 departments actually had a 100% response rate. That's telling me that people wanna be heard. People wanna be involved, they wanna be heard, whether it's good or bad, they want to be part of the organization. Um, physician participation has been really, really positive. You know, we can't have a healthcare system without having partnership with our physicians. They are key to the decision-making, the culture, everything we do. We went from about a 25% physician participation rate to a 60% participation rate this year. And all of them are doing debriefings, creating action plans. And I am pretty confident that will go up next year because there's a lot of conversation happening, happening amongst the physician groups. And then as a directive from our executive leaders, every single department is required to um, complete an action plan. There is no point in uh, frontline staff giving their feedback and us having this great response rate when we're not gonna do anything about it because that's the right thing to do. So again, we've made great strides. We've actually only been practicing the full, full blown kind of do the survey, 100% debriefings, 100% action plans, this is actually only the second year, but even by doing it just last year and this year, we've seen even more improvement and engagement. And I know that will continue because we are listening to what our workforce is saying. The next thing in that same domain is just culture. Just culture is equally important. Um, how do we hold everyone accountable? I know that Nil also uh, talked about that and that that's an area of, of significance for our organization. Even in the world of harm, our root cause analysis, um, it's, it's really um, surprising sometimes to us when uh, people are educated on certain practices, are, are uh, tenured in the organization, but the simplest of functions, there's a lot of deviation. 
but why do we tolerate? So again, just culture, how are we looking at the choices and the behaviors of each and every individual? And that's not, that's does not only apply to frontline staff, it applies all the way up to the executive suite because James and I have this conversation often and he says, I'm equally accountable, Darshan. You just lay it on the way you need to say it. You tell me what, what I need to do to address the problem. So it, that's what has to be modeled. So we continue to do um, education. We are now going to be launching these big uh, th uh, two by three posters. We're gonna put them on the units. We're gonna have uh, socialize it more because we really want people to know everyone needs to be held accountable for their actions and behaviors. Okay, that was domain number one. So every year we have a recertification, revalidation, and we have to continuously prove to beta that we're worthy of that. And, and then they validate us the, the next time. So this is the new one that we just got validated for. And this is the rapid event investigation and analysis process. If you look at when we started this journey in fiscal year um, 18, we actually, we weren't quantifying what our harm rate was based on incident reporting. At that time, we created a metric to say, what is the total number of safety alerts we're getting divided by the number of harms we have from those safety alerts? At that time, our rate was 6.16%. We have continuously been able to bring it down. We had some really stagnant times here during the COVID years. But if you look at it uh, with a literature search, and I can get that back to the board if necessary, most healthcare systems had an increase in harm rates during COVID. I was very happy to see that we were able to at least maintain it. Um, we are now for this past fiscal year, we brought the harm rate down to 2.76. So I'm really, really happy that we continue to show improvements in, in our overall harms. This next slide I just wanna show you is, I wanted to figure out a way to really depict harm because not all harm should be evaluated the same. An E event, which means the harm reached the patient, but we did an intervention, we monitored and we got the patient back to baseline within a very short period of time. That is an E event. All the way to I, where our care contributed to the death of a patient. When you look at it in 20, uh, fiscal year 18, we had a total of 426 harm events. That's from E through I. When you use the acuity scale by putting E as a one point, I as five points, where our risk score was 677. Using that same analogy, we had 154 events this year that caused harm. If you put the same value on the scale, E events are worth one, all the way to I, which is worth five. Our, our 
score was 173. 146 of the 154 harm events were actually E events. So not only have we changed the number of events, we've changed the type of harm that our patients are actually um, getting during the care. So it's, a, it's sort of a two-factor kind of equation there. And then um, beta being the, the very proactive partners that they are, have, have been very, um, I, I, get, I get their reports and they actually sat down with me to show me the impact of the decrease in patient harm events that has caused their side of the equation. So they, if you look at it here, the close claim counts in the country here, it keeps going down. The, 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 the big, big claims that are really um, severe harms to our patients that are filed, that's been going down. The indemnity costs have been going down for them. And then the indemnity and the defense costs. So um, they love partnering with us. They feel that our engagement with their programs has really reduced the harm in our organization and they are very invested in our success. So that's the two programs that, that we've been willing to really get on board and, and fully um, take advantage of and, and reap some benefits from. In addition to that, which I think this is just icing on the cake, uh, because ultimately, we can't put a price on saving a life of a patient or preventing a permanent disability of a patient going from 677 to 173 risk score. All the, the, the harm that we prevent by putting in safer practices and all the joint commission work that's been done, all the other you know, uh, performance improvements, like it, everything goes hand in hand. Everything has a, a rippling effect. Beta incentivizes us. So if we actually meet any of those five domains, we get a reimbursement on our premiums. So we benefit also in a financial way. So for the first domain, which was implementation of our culture of safety and just culture, we were reimbursed 58,000. This year, we were able to achieve the rapid event investigation domain, again, a $58,000 reduction. OB Quest has been a very, very successful program. And again, it's about best practices, evidence-based practices, and uh, the OB department has been involved in this for about eight years, and they now have tier two designation. That means the care is the best it can be. The metrics are, are, are very, very good. We actually get a reimbursement on the premiums. And then a couple of the other programs are, are, are emergency room programs. And this year, there was a program to teach our emergency room staff about sepsis and early intervention about sepsis. But the program year after year, I'll, I'll, I'll take Jeanette as an example. If Jeanette was one of our ED nurses at Highland, every year when Jeanette does the module, 
It's gonna keep track of Jeanette's competencies and performance. And every year when she does certain competencies, it's gonna actually grade her to see, is she actually retaining the knowledge? Is she getting a little worse in some areas? So for every person that's involved in this, they actually give you sort of a progress analysis. So it has a lot of benefits and it teaches our staff to take better care of our patients in an ED setting. So for this fiscal year, we got some good incentives from our beta partners. But again, I look at this as just icing on the cake. Really what we're gaining from this is providing safer, higher quality care to our patients. Um, again, uh, for fiscal year 2024, we're looking at communication and transparency. And I, I'm not gonna go through each of these boxes because every program is very comprehensive. Um, they really have taken a lot of time to create these toolkits and what these programs need to look like, how they need to be measured, um, a lot of different elements. And of course, having the engagement of the right leaders, the right operational leaders, the right frontline staff to really make these programs work. Um, the next program, which we would be looking at would be care for the caregiver which is something that many of you have shared a very um, passionate interest for, but it is a program that will take a lot more intervention because it's gonna take a lot of training um, and it's gonna uh, require a steering committee and a lot more involvement from uh, the higher leadership level. And then finally, um, the early resolution. And like I said, each of these programs builds on one another. So by the time you get to that year's domain, you have already started doing some of the work from the previous domain because it they just roll into one another, which makes the beauty of the five heart domain programs very, very sort of seamless because it seems like it's the next practical thing to do to make it safer. Um, this is just a couple of examples of some of the great, great uh, opportunities that we've all been um, privileged to have. Here's Trustee Banerjee, and I've got Trustee David right here, and many of our trustees and have been able to join us at these events. And I hope you can come to this year's annual symposium, where we will be honored again for the two domains that we have accomplished as an organization, and really celebrate all the hard work that everybody has been doing across the system to, to actually make this happen. And then um, in the patient safety program, we also do just to incentivize as part of our quality safety committee, we actually <coughs> encourage people to continuously look for performance improvement opportunities. And um, we honor them with a quality and safety innovation award. We also use this award during our culture of safety survey. Um, I literally review 100% of the action plans that are submitted. And when I see a very strong action plan that correlates with our culture of safety results and where we wanna go, we actually honor those departments to, to really recognize them and showcase them so that other departments will reach out to them and see what they're doing to get the kind of results they're getting. So, um, 
so that that's another internal thing that we're doing. And then in summary, I just like to say that I hope that every person on this call and who is present at this forum will continue to support these programs. Um, I feel that um, we have made some considerable uh, improvements in the last five years, but we have a long way to go to make this a part of the um, infrastructure and the framework and how people think the, the culture we, we still have a long way to go. Um, I know that the two of the five heart domains that we have uh, have um, uh, implemented have shown really positive results even for our frontline staff. Um, when, when the desktop chat happens, there are so many questions about when do I get to see my results? Why hasn't my manager shared my results? Um, they constantly asked James, well, I wanna hear what my department's results were and, and when are we gonna do something about it? So there is a level of engagement and um, just attention and willingness of people to wanna make it better. Um, of course, we have three more heart domains to accomplish and Again, I would need the board, the executive leadership to not only support it, uh, both uh, physically, mentally, with endurance, but some of these domains will take some additional resources because again, uh, most of our departments are pretty lean and I don't want this to be the stop of, of such a great opportunity for us as an organization. Thank you, Darshan. Questions? Darshan, thanks for the presentation. Like, you know, like we said before, success doesn't happen without intentionality. So congratulations to you. So, uh, you know, I got detailed questions. Can you go back in your talk, the acuity scale? I, uh, the acuity scale intrigued me. E1, F2, all the way to I. And we had a low score of about 174. It is is this acuity index built by us, or is that built by Beta Heart? It was built by us, but they have a dashboard that I participate in on a quarterly basis, and they use acuity the same way. And okay. that's why that's why I said, hmm, I think I need to recalculate this because all risk is not equal. So that, that's our homegrown acuity scale. I guess my question is, I always care about comparator. You know, I want to know how this benchmarks to their 80 other programs, if there's anything, something like that. This is very impressive data. You know, I like So that would be question number one. Okay. Um, question number two is, what are our premiums for Beta Heart? How much do we pay a year to Beta Heart? Yeah. Do we know? Mod would know. I don't know that. Ahmad. Okay. Doshan says he might know the answer to how much we pay on premiums. Oh, we actually should. I'll get them to you for the end of the meeting. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation, Darshan. But and and my question is, they have they have a pool of eighty other. Some probably similar, some probably not similar, but it, it's nice to have access to benchmarking data. So yes. I would say that would be cool. Maybe they would adopt your own acuity scale. 
so congratulations on this report. Thank you, Dr. Bouquet. Yeah, my comments are uh, with this beta program, this beta heart program coming from our insurance carrier, uh, they actually have so much incentive. Right. Though we pay them probably a gargantuan sum in insurance premiums, they save so much. And we as a system and our patients save so much because of improved quality, improved outcomes, you know, less harm, God forbid, less death. You know, there's there's so much that we get as a benefit to the programs that they've outlined. A beta part represents is, or is an insurance carrier for thousands of healthcare organizations, right, and hospitals and whatnot. Did you say 80? 80? 80 total organizations, entities? 80, um, 80 that, no, uh, there's more than that, James. Uh -huh. 80 have participated in the SCORE survey. Uh, and so, so we actually have to have James' signature to opt into any of these programs because the majority of their programs don't want the commitment. So you have to opt in for anything that we do, the survey, just culture, we make, so that's James' signature saying, I support this and whatever needs to be put in place to drive this, I, I'm going to support the efforts. So that means they actually cover a whole bunch of organizations. Yeah. 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 That was the point I was giving, just that the scope of data yeah. is so large that this, yeah, right. this is vetted and they have, you know, the benchmark that we're up against is many, many organizations, even though only 80 are participating in certain programs. It, and the fact that they give us a rebate feels really cool. They pay us for doing well, which I appreciate on top of all the other benefits that we get naturally. Um, so I'm very excited to see that we're going to opt into the care for the caregiver. I, you know, when, when we were hearing the report about John George and assaults, when we heard public comment from our staff, I often think about my own experience as a direct service provider and what I've learned about care for the caregiver as a program from attending the Beta Heart conferences and how meaningful that kind of support can be to our frontline workers, to our direct service providers, so that we can improve morale and so people can feel good about coming to work every day and feel supported and how that is an ongoing, in addition to all the other stuff we build into our system, the way that we build expectations around uh, surveys and you know all the metrics we have to meet but ultimately we're people and we're people feel so I, I'm in a lot of support for what Beta Heart offers I think they do it for the right reasons which is to make us all better thank you thank you yeah, um, uh, thank you for your hard work I do have a question if you go back to the 2023 culture of safety survey results on bullet number two. Um, in terms of bullet number um, two, so I just want to do the clarification. So there were basically 54, 54% of the department out of the 160 respo uh, response was 100%. So the remaining 56%, I need some clarification 
although they may have not have a hundred percent response, did they respond at all? What was the response rate out of the fifty-six percent of those departments? Our overall response rate for the entire organization was seventy-four percent. But what I teased out here that um, to to get a seven, uh, 73 departments, and some of them were very large departments, to get a 100% response rate is, uh, you know, statistically very significant results, right? Because the more, you know, it, it, it really shows an accuracy of the, um, the indicators. Um, we had never had that many departments that had a hundred percent participation. So, what I what I was trying to demonstrate is the goal for people to want to participate. And even when you do the debriefing, uh, frontline staff say, "I we responded because we need to tell somebody. Like we don't, we sometimes don't know how to get heard. And if this is the mechanism, and you guys do debriefings, we want to be heard." Um, so 73 of the 160 departments we did had a, actually 100% response rate. 74% was the overall AHS response rate. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Chair? Yes. Uh, just want to note on their website, it says that beta is the largest professional liability insurer of hospitals on the West Coast and provides coverage to more than 600 hospital and healthcare facility locations. Also 70,000 healthcare workers in California get their workers comp coverage through beta and they do a lot of medical professional liability coverage to over 7,600 physicians and more than 50 medical groups. That is really, thank you. So they're pretty huge, yeah. They're huge. And I think when we pay this kind of gargantuan premium to our risk, and when you listen at NQPSC to the harm and to the incident reports, when you see that downward trend, it really is why we are here in business, like our mission of reducing harm. But this has so many others about, you know, the kind of moral injury that we see. But Darshan, I know that, you know, we've talked about the successes, but one of the things that we know is that it has been hard, the optic of it. And do you, we've spoken sometimes in um, uh, that there has been some resistance to some of these programs and things like what we do see that with the culture of safety uh, in general, because I think our physicians probably are the more very overworked, is that survey participation of physicians sometimes are, they are lower than other staff members. So, I mean, how, how do you, and I know that also you've talked about like having this is part of all of the other quality work that we are doing. So this has to be embedded in it, but we do know that sometimes like, um, how do we get more physicians on board? Is it, do you think if it's having a physician? Yeah, yeah I think actually there was a few things and Darshan's been helping with this over the last few years. Over the last few years, we've been trying to make for the score survey itself the what's called the mapping more relevant to physicians so that physicians aren't assigned to a physical area but to their medical staff departmental structure. 
Um, so that has started to help. And also, um, we've had some key engagement from some of our position leaders who are really using it in some of their departments to say, hey, this division, this department, you know, get engaged, respond, and then develop those local action plans. So I'm seeing that. And thirdly, uh, the other thing that we've done is, is really look at um, the, the folks who should be responding to the survey, meaning these are our physicians here, these are our residents here, these are our advanced providers, um, and less focus on perhaps some of our physicians that might be um, a contracted telemedicine group or something. Like we want to hear from the folks who are in the system really every day. So those strategies have started to um, to make a difference and then looking at the the, the entire numerator as well, and really kind of seeing that. Thank you. Sure, ma'am. I have um, some information that may be, um, may address the question that was raised by Trustee Ogilvie, if you don't mind, may I Please, please, it? go ahead. Yeah. Trustee Obligacion asked about department specific. And so we do have the drill down information, but this was presented a couple of months ago in, in this meeting, and this is um, by facilities. And so you can see, again, the overall response rate this year, our goal was to be at 80, we were at 72% this year, but you can see by facility, um, the breakdown. So this is a little more specific to, to your question. We can get the departmental information because Darshan has it, but just, um, just wanted you to see across the facilities, since you can see those that beat the threshold, Alameda was at 90, um, Behavioral Health was at 96, San Leandro Hospital was at 97. And um, again, back to the physicians, they were at 60% this year. And the other slide I'd like to share is this one. And you can see over the years, the kind of the roll up and how we progressed and the lines are trending up. And so you can see that this system, you know, we were at 61 a few years ago and we have been pretty consistently in the low 70s. Alameda Hospital went from 84 up to 90. They were at 94 the last time around. Ambulatory, you can see, has gone up. They were really high, 81 last time, and then 73 this time. Behavioral Health, Highland. And again, um, physicians and APPs, to the point that was made earlier, they were at 25% a few years ago, then 38 and 60 this year. Yeah, I guess the point I was just making was, I, you know, even though that we're, I mean, it's good that we're making progress, right? And I don't want to leave here thinking, okay, yeah, we're making improvement, but it's just a certain areas that was highlighted here that the 73 departments, right, which I did my percentage, that it's only 54, 54% that makes it for us to increase. But if we get those 56%, if let's say, I mean, what is the response rate and how we, did, you know, if that was also increased, increasing, then that will make us much, much better, right? So that, you know, uh, we're just not having those, if let's say we're doing another one, it's only having the same 54% responding in those departments, but but if we get all those 56% response rate higher, then we'll be much better off. So that was, that's why I asked that question. Yeah, I hear you. And so much has to do with the, work plan because when you get the plan and people actually are seeing a difference, they engage more in the survey. Otherwise they're like, why should I bother? Yeah. 
bother if like there's no change happening. So and, yeah, and, and again, like great questions. You know, I love data discussions. It's about how we slice it. The overall run up is seventy four percent of fifty four hundred employees is four thousand responses. That is extraordinary. And then the roll up to 100 because I know a, a couple of those 100 percent were clinical departments, which were at the prior 20 percent. So yeah, I mean we can split out this data, but I mean this this is a very positive response rate and engagement. So the fact that we even add 70 of 160 departments who got 100 percent, that's that's extraordinary. It is extraordinary, and it also says people want their voices heard. Yeah, people I agree want that, so. Some people have more of a voice and influence and their voices get heard, not everybody's. And this is one survey that goes to everybody. So I, I will give one shout out back to Darshan and her team is that, uh, you know, we were present at rollout number one of the score survey. Darshan, you probably remember getting torched pretty good in, uh, in, in department meetings when you went. You know, we used it as an out of the box product and, and Darshan's team uh, has really, really made effort to customize it, as 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 Dr. Tornabeni said. So, so uh, that I think that's that's probably again, this stuff doesn't happen by accident. Darshan was killing herself to make sure that it was it was right. You know, the first survey it said your leader, but you didn't know is this my administrative leader? Is this my CEO? Is this my CMO? People didn't know, and they thought the data was a little bit worthless. So the next time she went back and massaged it out. So. Uh, again, congratulations to everyone who worked on this. It, it is a big thing. I would love to, if there's a way to incorporate some of the debrief in our next update, I would love to know how those are because, you know, it's kind of like the extemporaneous data that we get from patient interviews, the extemporaneous data from staff interviews, you know. And I'm sure it would run a spectrum of responses, but it would be, you know, really cool to hear some in testimony. We actually just worked with and so many profound i think the learning um, the, the stuff that we do here but the collective learning and celebration that happens at some of these events too because i know that some of our trustees were at the care for the caregiver when that was the theme i was at the one where it was about the patient you know kind of how, uh, where we were talking about harm events and for patients. And it says that so often we create a distance when we made a mistake and they're like, families want closure. Families just want to know. They don't want to sue. Nobody wants to sue. If you meet with them, you tell them, you say you're sorry, you say like, this is what happened and you're honest so much it just de-escalates it and then doesn't go into the kind of you know the first thing we ask is is there a litig litigation risk if we have that and so many times the so when horrible harms happen most families are too drained to go and take on a system billion dollar system they want closure they want respect they want to be treated at their their pain needs to be validated. And we are sometimes afraid to do that. That was such a transformational system. And so counter to some of the ways that normally you would think like legal or, or that we should be behaving. It was like, no, tell them more. Uh, that will keep them from, um, so yes. And so Darshan, you do need, it. it's great that this is moving along. Some of those are 24, 25, 26, because I guess, resources are needed so 
do come back to, I hope you have many champions within the ELT and within all, each of the departments that that will make sure that we move forward in these domains as well. Thank you. That was excellent. I did want to just address uh, Trustee Jennifer's um, uh, comment. Um, I do find a common theme when I am privileged to do a lot of debriefings. And I, I find that people really don't want a whole lot. They want a few fundamental things. They want to be heard. They want to be respected. They want to be valued as an active team member. And they want to be part of the changes, part of the decisions that are made that impact their direct work. Those are the fundamental things that a lot of departments, no matter how the score looks, but those are sort of the fundamental things. People do wanna be engaged, but what's difficult for them is things change without their sort of, um, without their buy-in or without any discussion and if, if, if we can create a culture where we do engage people of how to make positive changes, maybe they will buy into it more and actually it will be more positive. It will be, create more efficiencies and productivity. And, um, but those are a lot of the main uh, common themes that I see during debriefings. Thank you for that. Yeah, it, it sounds like the pre-work. People want us to invest in the pre-work. Yeah. It's the same thing that saves you on the, the lawsuit end. Like lawsuits are time consuming and costly, you know, if you get to some kind of a settlement, but you never have to go that route if you do a pre You not, avoid it all. Yeah, not to mention the moral injury. But one thing that came up, we had our IHI cohort, improvement cohort meeting this week or last week, and we said that often we want a perfect solution. And when we want something that's so perfect, that becomes the enemy of the good and we don't want to go iteratively and say we don't have that and so I know that again in the early years there was a lot of like you had a very hard time I know and we want to acknowledge that you did not leave us you stayed with us because uh, it was just a wall of resistance sometimes meeting that and that's really hard I mean you need position champions you need position leaders you need nurse leaders you need administrative leaders who are saying maybe this tool or this thing is not still customized but we are here to help improve it like that that even though it, it will get better as it um, through the iteration process so again thank you for uh, that over these years um, the improvement that has been happening thank you okay we are a little behind time, we have come to the um, the next item. We already did item G. Question: Did you have anything else that you wanted to? Or no, I, I just really truly appreciate this opportunity to share. Um, so thank you very much. And uh, my work's not done here yet, so uh, I hope my leadership will uh, give me more years to be able to implement this program in its entirety. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Darshan. Um, uh, item H is uh, written reports from staff, and we have the CFO, the John George, 
and also the PACE report, very good reports, all three of them. So any questions on those? No? All right, so that comes to the end of our open agenda, and we are going to be moving into closed um, items. Uh, we do have, uh, right now, the, um, the, uh, we have number one as uh, labor negotiating uh, conference with labor negotiators. We want to swap that to having a very quick session with our CEO, which is item number two, if we can do that first, because I know a couple of our trustees have to recuse themselves yes. from item and one. So if we can do that, we expect that to be how long do you think trustee or assign this this one to be? Maybe like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. So and then we'll move on to the next item. Do we have anything else? I think we have we have something for the regulatory affairs as well. Um, I don't believe no. so. No, no regulatory barriers? No. No. Okay. So, can we take a like a three minute to announce closed session? Oh, oh, yeah. Thank you, Chair Banerjee. The board will now go into closed session to consider the item that's stated on the agenda. Yeah, I have to recuse myself on item number one since I work for SAIU. Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, I also will be recusing from, I just trust you with I'll be recusing from item number one as I'm a member of SAIU. All right. Wait. Okay, just click them.